Me, Calvin Williams, Wednesday mornings from midnight to 1 a.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. There's bad lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance From behind Every time we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What a field day for the heat songs and they carry inside mostly say hooray for our side it's time we stop hey what's that sound everybody look what's going Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan, and with us today is co-host Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So now our featured guest is Nina D. Irizari. She is a researcher, an entrepreneur, an ethnographer in the marketing, art, and design space with over 10 years of experience. Um, her extensive portfolio includes collaborations with both established and emerging artists, as well as fashion designers. Uh, Ms. Irizari's portfolio also includes the release of the publication Decure magazine. Uh, the goal of the magazine is to create cross-disciplinary co- collaborations and advance socio-cultural discourse and creativity. <clears> the <throat> writing focuses the juxtaposition of the complexities of the human experience and the fiery ember of hope. Welcome, Nina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, uh, why don't we start with uh, what your passions are? Uh, you know, I'm picking up on the uh, the writing focus on the juxtaposition of the complexities of the human experience and the fiery ember of hope. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're writing. Tell us, elaborate on that. The writing focus and your passions. What what really drives you? Um. So I um 
I guess with my writing focus, I, I like to uncover uh, different um, struggles from from different uh, from pl- people and places of basically um, either places of war or just places where there's been um, harmony. So I like to create kind of the juxtapositions of the different stories, but um, primarily like my passion really is to uncover um, just the struggles that the artist has been through um, in trying to uncover their truths and try to um, forge their lens and and have a voice. So um, I love being able to um, unpack that for them and, and try to find their inspiration as well and kind of create just a package and and of my lens as well as uh have their voice be heard through the writing yeah yeah and then uh tell us a little bit about decura magazine yeah so decura magazine was a passion project of mine a couple years ago i was able to launch the pilot of it and then during the launch i had to kind of take a step back and reevaluate just um my approach and just where I, where I wanted to take the project as well and who I was as a person. So I took a step back and, um, and throughout uh, the past couple months and, and a little bit of time, I've been able to kind of reassess um, the project. But basically, I had, like I had mentioned before, my passion, I had featured artists in places of conflict as well as um, places where there's been, you know, re- renaissance of art. And I've been able to tell their stories and uh, as well as do uh, creative editorials that essentially were kind of um, almost like performance art um, pieces in a sense. So there was, it was just very highly creative and it allowed me to kind of just be very free and um, just put all my creative energy into that and, and, um, push full force uh, for a vision and what we wanted to do was kind of just um, create like a vehicle of expression and uh, how expression can create freedom uh, so that that was just kind of the the hope with the magazine yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that what ultimately I'm hearing what I'm seeing is that uh, you know you're kind of creating a space for, uh, you know, to orchestrate people, the writer, the, you have other writers who you're working with and then they're kind of contributing uh, articles and such? or Yeah, so a lot of the articles I was writing and then oh, I also had a team of freelancers and I would work with them uh, t- with their writing and we mm-hmm. would, um, I would give them, you know, the subject as well and then they would uh, take over and write and sometimes I'd help them edit um, yeah. So it was great. It was a learning process for everyone into uh, developing their craft as well as uh, working with writers that had more experience. Yeah, it seems like the the real passion is you know caring, creating that you know, space for uh, advocating for the communities. And can you be more specific in regards to uh, which communities or which uh, or in your own experience? Can you be can you ground it a little bit? Sure. So. Um, I want to say 10 years ago, I, or a little bit more than that, I first became interested in, um, what was happening, uh, between Palestine and Israel and the occupation there. And, and I, uh, was able to take a trip in 2008 
and I became kind of face to face with uh, the occupation. And it, it really took me by surprise, especially growing up in the U.S. Like we see a lot of, um, you know, the media, especially at the time, um, I feel like was just depicting uh, the occupation in a certain light. And um, I just wanted to understand it from from my belief system as a, a Christian, uh, just trying to understand um, th- what this meant to me and, and to to those around me as well. Um, so just being able to go there and then I had spent many time. I went there many times and then actually the first time I went there, I was really, um, I became aware of the graffiti. There was a lot of graffiti in different places and I was just, I would take pictures of it and I was just, and then eventually at a certain time I began to research, you know, the meaning of the graffiti. And then there's also tons of murals on the um, separation wall and it, it just became very engaging to me um, just to understand its meaning. And it, on the separation wall, there are art pieces by, you know, famous artists as well as people that come as activists uh, to give a message. So there's pieces like from Banksy and JR artists and, um, and then from the local artists as well, so just trying to understand, number one, what certain graffiti meant um, and just the artistry of that. And then and then uh, I actually went into the community and I had given a workshop at one point and worked with some of the artists and just trying to understand their perspective um, from where they're coming from. Um, that was kind of like one of the starting points to the magazine um, during one of the trips that I went to, then I had um, done a um, art exhibit of my own work, but kind of juxtaposed with my sense of um, finding myself and my identity and just the different experiences I've been through and juxtapose it with um, kind of the conflict there, especially in a place called Hebron, which is uh, actually the most dangerous and volatile place in Palestine. Um, so just juxtaposing those things. So, um, the magazine kind of like merges just the different uh, disciplines and the different uh, angles. So like my perspective and then others as well. Yeah. yeah. I think definitely we have a, you know, the uh, combination of the bringing together of others' perspectives as well as your perspective and, you know, kind of in the process, the process allows us to strengthen that insight, you know, so that then we can create this like, you know, um, tool that we're using to cut through, you know, the the false perceptions or the uh, obstacles to, uh, you know, to seeing clearly, you know. So we all have to see clearly. We all have to perceive what's out there and also what's in here, you know. So um, well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> based off of what listening to you, I, I, a friend of mine who is not an artist in, mm. in any way, which is lovely sometimes to talk to this person and then very annoying other times. <laughs> Um, she asked me, and I think it's a great question. I would be very interested in your answer with, um, when you're in a situation that is so life and death, which is so volatile, where there's so many things that are at stake, what is the value of art? Yeah. What is, what, well, cause, uh, Nina was saying about the, the graffiti and such and how, yeah. and the, uh, the art that was out there. And then she's able to see, you know, the, 
what that means to her, what she's she able to see. Yeah, well, well, that's yeah. why I'm just interested. Yeah. I mean, like personally yeah. for you, like I mean, because I, I know my answer for that question. Yeah. I'm, but but I was like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in every artist's answer to that question of because yeah. I think it's a valid question. Yeah, and so I, I mean, for you, when when there's a situation like that, what what do you see the role of art being? Yeah. Yes. So, um, I had written an um an article once, and I was kind of comparing um. Uh, actually Banksy's work and uh, for me like looking at Banksy's work in in such a place like I feel like he's able to kind of since he has you know so much uh, of an audience and you know he's recognized and in the art institutions and establishments so an artist like that that has um, all all of these eyes on him like he's able to uh, really put together he's able to give a voice you know he's able to use his influence to give a voice um uh to to the different things that especially in this situation the, the palestinian occupation um so especially now he's doing um he has a hotel there it's called the waldorf hotel i've stayed there and you know for some that could be like you know there, it's very conflicting views about that but you know what like it gives a place where people, they want to attend, they want to go to this, you know, because it's Banksy's hotel, but they have so many different tours uh, of the refugee camps, of uh, the wall, and and they go to Hebron as well and give tours. So yes, people might come with just um, maybe the quote wrong intention, but he's giving them an educational platform. Mm-hmm. And then there's you know, a museum inside where he's giving the breakdown, his his curated breakdown of of the occupation. So mm. he's he's really providing an educational platform as well as using his influence to shed light, you know. So yes, sometimes art um Yeah. It it might not be able to do such things, but I feel like yes, like, you know, Picasso, um I don't have the exact quote, but basically he says that, you know, you're able to kind of give a new perspective uh, with with what you're you're portraying. And that's really the goal of of an artist is to give like new eyes and and create knowledge and and really to create a place where people can engage and kind of create um, new ideas about a situation that they didn't uh, have fellow uh, had former information before yeah one is i can all give that that kind of trigger to me was that you know with banksy it's like uh he's like an anonymous thing right he's like an anonymous yeah. person so it's interesting how you know we see banksy through his quote unquote emanations you know like we, we everyone relates with this idea of banksy you know and how we don't really know exactly who he is but he kind of emerges in people's perspectives as being like a uh as you're saying embodies the um the attributes that you were that you were saying, I mean, it reveals a certain, he triggers in people a certain or certain people that was able to see. He triggers in certain people a certain perspective or a certain way of seeing, and then uh, and by by using unorthodox methodology, he's more able. He's more he or she. You know, who knows? Who knows? Who Banksy is? I don't know. Like it could be. I think it's know. a collection of yeah, people. It's, yeah, it's probably a collection. I think people, it's yeah. all the children yeah. of all of the people who were Shakespeare as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like anonymous. The you know, and uh, um, what is this? Uh, the Occupy Wall Street, and then we had the anonymous and all that, or all these things. How this, 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 um, you know, now it becomes this 
force, you know, in the, in the world. Like Gorilla Girls yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it's so interesting because I that's not where my thought first went. So I was like, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Like uh, art has the ability to draw attention from the people who are not in that situation to say, hey, look at this thing. And mm. and um, and this is why I love asking this question because I was like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Because I think my response originally was like uh, talking about like the giving the the person in the situation like um, a purpose mm. and a way of transforming their pain into something beautiful. Cause yeah. that's been my personal experience with why I do art is coming from a volatile background and with a lot of, you know, mental illness in my family that, you know, especially when you're a kid, it's like, what else can I do? But mm. if I have a pen and paper, that was all I was given, you know, I had pen and paper as a child and fabric um, and glue mm. sitting around and, and so I think that there's so many different levels of both for the personal and then for uh, the public and the political that, you know, about how important art actually is. And this idea that I think the really important thing is it externalizes an internal experience mm. to a place where we consciously understand it and then can take action to make things better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been going through an intense experience these past week. And I think that what ultimately I've, kind of discovered, uncovered is that, um, you know, there's only the moment, right? There's only, you know, people say that live in the moment and stuff like that. But if you really tune in, then, uh, you know, we are, we are, we have to, you know, there's the internal experience and there's the outward appearance, right? So, um, if we really, if we're really seriously tuned in to, you know, the, what we perceive as the, uh, the, the, uh, the truth, you know, the truth of, of, for myself or for all of us and our motivation and such, then, uh, you know, how just like Banksy's like tuned in, you know, and then um, <clears throat> how he how he appears to others is one thing has no control over. But we need to, you know, go deep, dig deep for ourselves and act in this world in a way that's, you know, perceived as appropriate, perceived. So we're, we're sending out our uh, our emanations to uh, to everyone else, you know, so just having empowerment and power you know, is very important. So how does, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So. um What Jessica was saying, um, I think art, you know, creates that place for agency and it creates that place uh, for healing as well. Um, and that's been true in like my own life. And I've seen that with other artists as well. Like it gives them a sense of control, and yeah. empowerment because mm. um, they're able to tell their story and whatever, you know, art has its own language. So, you know, when the artist is finding their language, you know, that's freeing as well. Um, so for me, um, art, yes, you know, people, you're from the insider, you're able to express, uh, you know, what is inside and, um, being able to share it with the world or just with yourself. Cause there's times where, you know, in throughout our history, there have been artists that are just creating for themselves as well. So, Mm. but that just also creates, you know, a place of healing, even if it's not shared with another person. Yeah. And also one thing that the last guest uh, week last week said was that, you know, although we we're kind of in the community of artists, we're in the community of uh, empowerment through art and stuff like that. He was saying how, you know, um, you know, if you're a teacher, if you're calling us to be a teacher, if you're calling us to be whatever it is, uh, whatever ex uh, occupation you, you, you've been uh, called to do, uh, just do it with heart, you know, do that, really connect to the heart center and really find that empowerment that every action we take has that ripple effect that every, in every moment, 
we're having, uh, we're connecting with our intention, we're connecting with our motivation, we're having effects that, you know, ripple outward and that um, in any given snapshot, um, you know, we're having an impact and believing that, seeing that, being that is essential and it's important because it's, it's uh, and you know, the fear comes in when we're like, you know, to, you know, what other people see, what other people think about, what other people perceive. But, you know, in every moment we just have to really like, connect with what's so important is that where the other people exist within us, you know, and they, you know, and we exist in other people. So we're kind of making those prayers, if you will, or thoughts or sending out that energy. We're hoping we're, we're kind of connecting and then uh, we're doing what we can. And, and, you know, well, I think that's really what karma is, yeah. you know, cause we've talked a little bit about this before, but yeah. the idea that every action, you know, has a reaction and yeah. every, Every thought that you put out in your mind will come back with a, a an echo of some sort. And every action you do, whether it's holding the door open for someone or you know pushing through on the subway, mm. um, you know that's going to have a, a little reaction. That's going to you know ripple effect in the pond, hit the shore, and come back. Yeah, in some way, not in this like cosmic justice. Some you yeah, know overlord saying yeah. like, "Oh, yeah. you didn't smile at that baby. I'm going to burn your coffee." <laughs> But the idea that, you know, if you if you send out a hundred query letters, yeah, you know what I mean, you're gonna get some response back. If uh, instead of doing that, you eat a gallon of ice cream and watch TV, there's going to be a consequence for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just think sometimes people hear the word karma and they think like mystical justice. And yeah. I'm like, no, if you just eat a lot of ice cream, you're going to gain weight and be unhealthy. And if you binge watch a bunch of nasty tv shows your brain is going to be filled with you know nasty thoughts and everything and just knowing that every choice that you make you know has the ability to lead you more towards the pure you and the part of you that connects with everything or it's leading you away from that and you have the ability every day in every moment just to be like you know, is this, is this the, is this leading me towards being the person that is my best self or is this leading me away from my best self? And I find that that really simplifies it in a way that is manageable to me. Yeah. I would just say, I would just clarify about karma is that, uh, it's come to mean something else in the society, you know, but actually when you go back to the roots of the word, you know, it means action, right? Yeah. But when you go further back, it's imprints is the most Mm. important thing. Imprints or saskaras is the Sanskrit term. So, we're all left with all these imprints, these seeds, these potentialities that every every experience leaves a seed or an imprint on us. Yeah. And that creates a, a seed within our mental continuum, right? So uh, those seeds ripen at some point. They're going to ripen because, you know, as moments pass, uh, you know, th- that we've planted these deep seeds into our mind, right? And then at some point, those seeds are going to, you know, ripen, right? And that's uh, something the ego doesn't have control over, our ego mind, our conscious mind, our talking mind, our blabbering mind, right? But there's a separation between the ego and that energy that's flowing through us. And the ego may plant the seed. The ego plants the seed, right? And then the uh, attention it puts the water on the seeds. The water, attention, 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 waters that seed, water that seed. And then sooner or later, that seed will ripen. So our attention also plays a role. So to what extent are we putting, where, where are we placing our attention you know, is one thing. And then where what we want, the ego wants, what the ego wants is another thing. And then the ripening of that seed that's been placed within our mind in every moment, what, what's ripening, what's coming up, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's a great thing. Just, you know, metaphors are so helpful for people yeah. about 
you know, for me, it definitely is. It's like I can ask myself every day, like, what seeds do you want to plant today? And yeah. which seeds that have already been planted do you want to water today? And I think that's like for me, I know that that can help me every day to make it easier to make the choices that are going to be most effective for me. Because I do find that sometimes you just get caught up in life and especially as artists dealing with the amount of emotion and craziness that we deal with, you know, just simplifying something that you can do every day that that helps you lead a healthier life. Yeah. Like that for me is something I've been working on a lot this year is just how do I not only with like my physical health, but, you know, with mental health and artistic health, which is something I, I think is very important for artists that, you know, are what we've been through is already traumatic and the art we're writing might be very dramatic, creating it might be very dramatic. But, you know, our relationship to our art and our process can be extraordinarily healthy. And I think it should be managed and worked on with the same attention that we give um, our body, you know, our physical health and our mental health. I would say also that um, metaphor, you know, just keen on metaphor, right? So it's like, you know, people like to think, oh, it's just a metaphor. It's just a way of talking, right? But we need to really get into that metaphor and like, you know, the divide between what it, what we first perceived it is. A metaphor is a bridge towards a larger truth. So the, the thing is, as it is now, and then what we want it to be, right? So we put that metaphor down as a bridge between what, what it is now and what we want it to be, right? So that metaphor is a bridge towards bringing us across that leap you know we don't have to leap right so it's bring us solidly on solid ground across where it is to where you want it to be right so just travel slowly across that metaphor until we get to where we want it to be and really you know we it's a way of seeing it's a way of seeing so um you know if we the deeper and deeper and going to seeing things as we want it to be then ultimately it will be that and it's no longer a metaphor it's a, it's a literal truth you know it's a reality. yeah it's a reality yeah also, I'd like to add, um, like I found, I've been finding it helpful, like um, to, to utilize discipline as well, and like kind of like a, you know, you could think of the ideas of like muscle memory. Like if yeah. you, um, you know, get up at a certain time or you are writing for a certain time at a certain time, you know, it really helps kind of, um, you know, make things. Yes, it gives a structure, but then it makes things organic because then you have allotted that time you know, for that uh, creativity or what have you. So I've been trying to implement, um, you know, it's painful at first, you know, putting in discipline in, in, um, in daily life, but then it becomes and the same thing with like exercising or different things like that. But once you're in that rhythm, you know, things are, you know, they flow really nicely. Mm -hmm. I, and I can, on the, the sort of science behind that a little bit is, you know, when a, a decision fatigue is real, you can think about it as like, Let's say we have like a hundred decisions. We are like our brain is capable of it's much more, but let's say our brain is capable of making a hundred decisions before it cognitively shuts off. Mm. And, you know, the more that you can get into habits and rituals, you know, which I prefer to the word discipline because discipline scares me. <laughs> yeah. So I prefer to call it habits because that seems like a cuddly bunny compared to a soldier. Um, but it's the same thing. Absolutely the same thing. Um, so when we talk about getting into habits and ritual and that muscle memory is what mm. it's doing is it's saying that the automatic unconscious loop in your brain is going to take care of this so that your decisions can all go towards, say, your art. And like, especially when you're writing a, a script, you know, the script is just a character making decision after decision after decision after decision, which is why like 
when I write in a screenplay format, a half hour of screenwriting exhausts me mentally and cognitively much more than three hours of poetry. Mm. Um, and so I think that uh, if there are artists that might be being like, no, it's my process and it's natural and I'm just going to see what happens, you know, that it actually on the neuroscience side of things will help your art and your creativity to create as much of a, a natural rhythm so that unconsciously it hap- you get into those habits enough that you can save all of the high functioning part of your mm. brain for the actual creation of the work. Or if you're not an artist, say, to spend with your family, you yeah. know, and just to put all, allowing all of you to be fully present with whatever is most important in your life, whether that's your job, your family, or your art. And so I will definitely say yes. At first, I, I agree. It, getting into that rhythm is some of the most painful work you might do, but it's totally worth uh, practicing it so that you have that that freedom afterwards. Yeah. One thing I've been doing is that uh, you know just shutting off the conscious blabbering, you know, and uh, then reversing the process. So we're talking about muscle memory and such. So allowing you know the the body to just move and just being aware. Well, what does that reveal to me? And, you know, instead of thinking, you know, like there was a great um, analogy that I read. Uh, it's a little koan or a little uh, riddle in some uh, Cold Mountain Poems book. Um, and it's I just read one line that really powerful was uh, the body asks the shadow, which way from here. Right. So now just taking that one line out of context. Right. The body asks the shadow, which way from here. You know, conventionally, we think the shadow follows the movement. It is the truth. Right. That the body follows the the, the shadow follows the um movements of the body, right? And just sitting with that, like, regularly, just sitting with that, how does that apply to this situation? How does it apply to this situation? And then ultimately I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop consciously intention, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, controlling the attention and just allowing the body to speak, allowing the words to come. And then ultimately seeing what, then observing, what does that reveal to me and what is my truth? What is my empowerment? How does that, how do I feel the power going through me, you know? Well, so... Yeah, I think that's like the key to art in general is this idea of um, uh, because I think the craft comes from the conscious mind. The Mm. art comes from the unconscious. And uh, one of my best friends, she's a psychologist and she's starting to work with children who have been traumatized. And so art therapy is the most effective way because their cognitive brain and their their ability to speak about things is is very small. Um, But if you give a child, uh, you know, crowns and paper and they draw a picture and, you know, it's them and they're holding the hand of their dad and their mom is over on the corner on the top of a mountain. Mm. You know, it's like then you have the truth. You're like, oh, she if it's like a, this, this child is in the middle of a divorce, it's like, you know, which parent they actually mm. feel closest to. They feel, you know, and so that's yeah. the cool thing about surrendering and why I think meditation and being present, present is so important with art, which is. In order to create art, you don't have to learn. You just have to surrender. Craft, you have to practice. Craft is building. Craft is like building a building. Art is birthing and release and surrender because whatever the truth inside of your body, your unconscious truth, if you let it out, like that is the art. And I think that, you know, when the the idea of that surrendering to the shadow, um, you know, also if we want to get into some young, we can talk about some shadow. I would say say also there's the conscious mind, right? This ego mind, right? Then most people can do this. Most people can surrender to the subconscious mind, this Mm -hmm. art, right? But if you negate the subconscious, the subconscious has the shadow in it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you allow the most powerful energy, the subtle energy, the more subtle, subtle, subtle energy to direct you, 
then ultimately you're going to the, the divine energy, you know, the divine energy that flows within all of us mm-hmm. and allowing that to direct you, allowing that to, that, that it's not even impulse. It's, it's like more like a, uh, 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 you know, what, what you would say? Um, for me, I think divine energy is just being, I guess you're being led, you know, I'm saying it in my own words, basically, yeah. it was just led by, you know, a higher being. Like, yeah. I know sometimes I've, I've felt that, like, coming with my own work, like, if I'm creating something and it's like, oh, yes, this is definitely my hands and everything or whatever I'm doing. But I feel like, you know, it's coming, you know, from a higher source. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of being, you know, like a an instrument um, or a tool or a medium, you know, for that, um, for me, it would be for God flowing through me. Yeah. yeah. Making that real heartfelt connection mm-hmm. and then just allowing that instrument to be played yeah. so that, you know, we're not playing it. The, you know, we're just allowing the music to flow through us, exactly. you know, yeah. and then the music is, who is it for? Is it for us or is it for others? You know, is the question. Well, yeah. well, that's, I, I mean, and I love that because I, I found that, you know, what I call the collective unconscious mm. and the, the idea of that we are all one is what a lot of people who believe in God will be like, oh, no, it's God. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, like, it's the same thing. We just label it differently. That's yeah. totally fine. I think I'm like, I think the important thing is it doesn't matter what the label is, but that idea that it's in us always. And that, yes, the conscious mind and the ego, you know, is the thing that that sometimes gets in the way. And so if you can surrender to that higher energy you call it higher energy i'll call it lower energy because it's like really everything below (laughs) us but it is again exactly the same thing that we're talking about and then i think um and i do feel like that's uh who's it for is i think when it first comes out like releasing that realizing that's in you that is a gift coming from the unconscious or coming from god or coming from the collective unconscious and when it first births out in a physical form i believe that that is for the individual that is for the person but that's then why we have craft and we rewrite or restructure because we birth it out. And then either you look at it and you say, oh, this is fine. This is all I need. I have what I need and this doesn't need to go anywhere but my journal. Or you look at it and you go, people will benefit from this. Yeah, I should yeah. show this. And exactly. so that's when you rewrite or that. And oh. so that's when the craft comes in. And so the artistry is for you, the self. Um, and then the crafting is for an audience if that thing needs to go on to an audience. And that's yeah. why everything, you know, well, at least in the screenwriting world and in the playwriting world, you do tons and tons of rewrites because that first draft is meant to be me discovering my truth that I need to understand. And then once you understand it, then you can be like, oh, I want to share this understanding with an audience. I want to share it with the world. So then you have to craft it into something that communicates that to your audience who, and that'll be a slightly different process than you've experienced it. But for me, at least in all of my studies and the work I've done with, with my students, that's the most effective way to think about art and rewriting. And I would say, also, I would say also we have, when we are on a journey, we have the intention, right? Intention, mm-hmm. The motivation, the motivation. And then, um, our intention guides us through that journey, right? The mental journey, the physical journey, and we have the thought action. And then ultimately, we have there's only one reality that we're all sharing, right? So those actions, those word actions, there's physical action. Well, I mean, we have things that you know. There's one reality in the sense that something's happening, and you mm-hmm. know, this is what happened. This action has happened, right? And has a ripple effects. So, uh, and then how it's perceived is another reality. It's the thought action, or the thought, the yeah. perception, or the how the emanation appears to other people. So. Um, we sh- but we have like it's it's kind of like a Texas Hold'em um, 
reality. You know, we have our whole cards, which are mm -hmm. our two, our, our mental intentions, our thought actions. And then we are sharing what we're seeing on the, on the table, right? There's like all these different uh, realities. We're all, there's three of us and we're, mm -hmm. we're sharing this and whatever. And, uh, you know, then we just have to continue to, uh, you know. I will start with that metaphor, but I will say the reason why I gave a little bit of a look when one reality, <laughs> yeah, the phrase yes, one reality came up is because dangerous. I'll dangerous. say this. Yes. Let's say there's three cards on the table that we can all see. And yeah. then we each have our own set of cards that we can see. But I would say yeah. the addition to that, which is, I think is more accurate to the world is that you're playing Texas Hold'em. I'm playing Ram Ginny and you're uh, playing Canasta. Yeah. So we're and all governed by, <laughs> we're, all, we're all in our situations. We're all in our yeah. unique situation, our spheres. And we're yeah. playing by the rules or the law or the, the well, universal law. I think it's just that, I mean, reality is created in the mind of every individual. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, one, you know, something can happen right here in front of us. Uh -huh. And the story, because our reality consciously is created through the narration that we have of what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And so it, this is why you get in fight with loved one all the time. You'll go and you'll have what you think is the same exact experience. And mm. one person starts one narrative and the other person's brain has another narrative going. Oh. And both of those truths are valid. Yeah. Because that filter. is, it's, yeah. yeah, it's because <laughs> the way you filter, it's the story you tell yourself about the experiences that have happened. There's very, very rarely any objective truth that we can find because even if you have like a video recorder, mm. You know what I mean? And this is true for people who do video evidence in court cases. They're like, it's just another witness because that video recorder depends on how many frames it's picking up. And it depends on the angle that it's at, that there's yeah. so many things where because of the angle, it looks like this person groped yeah. this person when actually, if you saw it from another angle, they didn't even touch each other. And so, and then once a moment is gone, there's no way to relive it. There's no way to actually perfectly bring it back. It's, it's a, a memory. memory. It's an imprint. And every single time you visit a memory, this is important to know, every yeah. time you visit a memory in your mind, it actually changes the memory uh, based off of the intention of the reason you visited that memory. It's a ripening. Yes. So yeah. this is why when they tell the stories, they're like, I caught a fish this big. And uh, then I caught a fish this. <laughs> and it's, yeah. the, it's actually true. The, the fish in the mind, in the memory, physically grows because oh. the intention of the story is to impress your friends with your catch. Oh, and spell. so therefore, every time you revisit it, it gets more impressive. If you want to mm. prove to people that your ex was a jerk oh. and you go back to a certain memory, his actions or her actions get worse and worse uh, in the memory. But you're and you're making it worse and worse, right? You're yeah, be, because of the intention of the, the reason that you visit that memory, right? And so, people. yes. And so yeah. I, I'm, I like to work with my writers. I'm like, especially if you're using past trauma to create art, I'm like, make sure that you're not um, embellishing, embellishing the trauma because that uh, happens a lot. I'm very careful with my writers that if they do if we do meditations where they go into parts of themselves that are traumatized or in pain, that um, we visit with the intention to um, scoop up and to, you know, create fertilizer from the shit, as I like to call it. And when we end in that meditation, when we leave, we, I always make sure that it's, it's in a way that it's um, allowing the trauma to be less of an effect. And so that that one way, when we leave that memory, um, 
it's still it's still there, but it's not as painfully effective. It, like the domino effect of the pain goes yeah. away without yeah. losing the actual memory. Oh. Um, and so I just think that's an important thing for for people to realize because I don't think a lot of people know that. But at a lot of my studies, when I'm doing like deeper meditation and I did the research into, you know, the way that memory and and the mind works. I was really surprised when I found that. I was like, why is everyone not talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a really important thing for mental health and for oh. especially artists or like, I know a lot of actors who do um, certain methods of acting where they're told to like go into a memory and just amplify it in a way oh. that I'm just like, I really don't think that's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> that's and also healthy. we have to accept <laughs> what we can control and what we can't control mm-hmm. and coming to a peace with that. And just keeping our focus, tuning in, keeping our focus on the intention, the motivation, connecting mm-hmm. with love, connecting with compassion, connecting with, you know, that I want this to, you know, like ultimately it's like, it's similar to, I use the thing, I think about, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the magical thing. We think about magic and such and like the, you know, the uh, magician sends out like the flying monkeys to go fly out there and you say your emanations, your flying emanations go out there and have that impact and the emanation now you lost control over those or you don't have control over those how people perceive you that it's it's you know it's dispersed into the into this into the consciousness into that deeper consciousness that deeper energy and has its own life and has its own life exactly yeah yeah so now now uh there's only one reality in the sense that i'm experiencing from my point of view there's only one reality i have to accept Mm -hmm. that there's uh you know i'm you know it's my reality. So I have to own that, that I'm experiencing the world in one way. And not in one, in each moment I'm experiencing the world in one way, right? So I only have control of that. So I have to, I have to control, discipline myself to mm-hmm. be able to take it step by step, one step at yeah. a time. You know? Well, and I think it's true. Like I can't control the narration in your mind, mm. but I can control the narration in my mind. Oh, you yeah. know, like I can choose to tell myself the story that, oh, that person cut me you know oh my friends are going out without me clearly they hate me they're plotting against me and it's like no the facts are your friends went somewhere without you Mm. the story of those facts Mm. you can completely control at any moment and Mm. you can say like who is the type of person i want to be what seeds do i want to plant today and let me tell myself the story about the facts that is most effective for me being that person and and so it if you start practicing this every you know every moment of the day of of separating the facts of what has just happened versus the story that I am choosing to tell myself, mm. you start to realize that you have so much more control over your reality, your emotions, your actions, and your behavior. And it was that's one of the most empowering things that I ever learned through my research was I was like, mm. oh, there are facts. Yes, I am in this room. We have 17 minutes left. I can't wow. change that. But I can tell myself the story that, oh, we're running out of time. Or I can tell myself the story that, great, we have 17 more minutes to explore, yeah, you know, this yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, and as the thought arises, we can put a label on it. Say that's fear. That's anxiety. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And then or we can let them pass because our motivation is what? You know, questioning our motivation. What's our, what's our intention? What's our motivation? So there are certain techniques where we label, label the thought. Like the thought is blah, blah, blah. And that will do one thing. Right. And then there's some times where we let the thought pass and we're like, all right, I'm just accepting. I'm just accepting. So, you know, there's certain times where we have control. There's some times when we don't have control. And each moment we have to assess, well, what's my choice here? What's my decision here? What's my attention on? And what's, and you know, the, like you're we saying, like the thought arises, observe it, be in with it, 
and then just let it go. And then now the, that moment's passed, and now, you know, something's happened. Something's happening now, you know, and t- what, what mm-hmm. we control, what we do, don't control. And choosing, I'm going to just allow the emotion to pass and allow the thought to pass, blah, 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 whatever, what, you know, whatever narrative or story you want to tell, just be with it, be with it, you yeah. know? Yeah. I want to say, I heard this great sermon uh, the other day, and it kind of, uh, it kind of um, is relating to what you're saying. Some of the points were like, stop reading between the lines, give people the benefit of the doubt, assume the best, uh, toughen up on the inside. And um, yeah, because sometimes we can just like, you know, like the example you gave, yes, like, you know, you can assume the worst in situations. So mm-hmm. like, I think it's always helpful. Like, yes, like you can't be naive, but you know, when you assume the best, when you put out like that energy, like I think it affects like your inner thoughts as well, as well mm-hmm. as what, um, what you give out to others. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I'm, and I think, you know, cause I know a lot of people who struggle with, uh, assume, you know, the best of people, because depending on where you come from, that can be a well, little bit well, hard. Within no, reason. No, 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 but that's what I mean. But I mean, I'm still for that. I'm still like, no, 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 yeah. I always do. I always assume the best, yeah. but I always prepare yeah, for, exactly, for the worst. Exactly. I, I will always, cause I, I hit on both. I'll be like, cause I naturally, my mind as also, I write a lot of thrillers. So I work in a world of a lot of violence and darkness okay. and twistedness. So I will always, you know, like I was with my, at my friend and he answered the door and took people up to the roof to fix the roof. And he was gone for 20 minutes. And as soon as I realized it was 20 minutes, I, my first thought was, I was like, oh my God, they've murdered him on the roof and they're coming <laughs> for me next. And then I stopped. And I was like, okay, great. I've established the worst. Uh, and I know I naturally go there first. So I was like, great. Now let me assume the best. I'm like, oh, he's probably, there's probably like a leak on the roof and he's talking through with them. And so I was able to feel that natural instinct to go to panic and assume the worst. But then I paused and I said, let me put a pin in the worst. Let me go to what is the best scenario. And I'm like, mm. he's on the roof telling them about how amazing I am. Mm. That is the best in this scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then I felt really fabulous. And so then I just texted him. I was like, is everything okay? And he's yeah. like, yeah, it's just trickier than I thought. <laughs> and it saved like 20 years ago, I would have had a full blown panic attack at that moment, mm. thinking that he was dead and just entertaining that. And so I think absolutely. But for those who are a little bit scared that they're going to, you know, get screwed over in life. If your natural instinct is go to the worst, great, put a pin in it and then jump up there to the best. And like you yeah. said about the facts, like get, get <laughs> yes. the facts. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is that my friend left the room 20 minutes ago. I know nothing else at this point in time. Yeah. So I can tell myself the story that he's being murdered or I can tell myself the story that he's planning me a birthday party or I could tell myself the story that he's turned into a magical unicorn and flown away. <laughs> but my reality will be based upon that storytelling. And I think that's why it's super... I That's why I think everyone should practice storytelling and should yeah. practice writing. Because I'm like, when you realize that everyone is a storyteller because yeah. every 32 seconds your mind is telling yourself a story about the reality about the facts around you whether you are an artist or not that is just the truth of consciousness uh, and so i do think everyone is a writer they just don't know and if you just start paying attention to like the little writer in your mind that's creating your narrative suddenly becoming a storyteller and a writer is you realize uh, it's a lot more natural than people think i would say also they say follow your joy follow your bliss you know, that's one, that's one step, right? Mm-hmm. So then ultimately, you know, there's also the step of just disciplining yourself, being that moment. But then ultimately you have to feel that bliss. You have to feel that joy. And some people are not called to be storytellers, but they can experience storytelling. You know, I was sitting with mm-hmm. my mom and she was just, she was talking about, she was, I don't know, some perspective gossiping, but it was her intention was not to gossip because it's family matters and such. So she was relating a story 
to me and she was animated about it and she was telling a story and it was very beautiful. And I perceived it not as gossip because it's not gossip in some level. It's not, not literally gossip. She's not, she's just telling a story, a story, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we just appreciating that moment. I just see it as that and her intention, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's in every moment, just see things as they are. Well, I think the only yeah. difference between gossip and, uh, and the story is the intention it's behind the intention. Yeah, like an yeah. ill intent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, it's, yeah. if, if the intent is to connect to the other person yeah. um, that you're talking to, I think it's a story. If the intent is to connect with that person over uh, the humiliation of another yeah. person, then I think that's what then yeah, registers no. it as yeah. gossip. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think that people should write and practice writing and storytelling simply because they think they can make a career out of it. I think oh. that it's something to take up similar, like running, like yeah. every person who takes up running doesn't think they're going to go to the fricking Olympics. Yeah. And I just think there's too much pressure on people to think that, Oh, I have to be, you know, if you had to be Olympic level good mm. to start just running around central park, mm. think about how many people would lose a wonderful outlet that is pretty much free that they can practice to be healthy. And I think of writing as the same way because, you know, it's a pen and paper, it's a journal, you know, you can do it anywhere. And it's one of the most effective ways for mental and emotional health that you can do every day. Cause mm. you know, our healthcare system, you know, um, mental health is really, really expensive in this country, you know, like, and I currently don't have health insurance. And so I look at that and I'm like, whew, you know, but if you get into writing and storytelling as a way of just understanding yourself and the world, um, it's, it's just really effective and you don't have to make necessarily make a career out of it. I'll jump into, um, you know, there's, I went, took this course with uh, landmark forum and, uh, you know, I know it's like a triggers a lot of you know, negative stuff or whatever, but I'll just distill it to, you know, uh, there's the wish and there's the, there's the wish that you know, t- uh, connecting this one truth or one thing is that, you know, we have the magic of the wish of intentionality and such. We're like casting a spell, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, I will it, therefore it is. And the better we get at magic, you know, the better we can get to cast a spell at certain people and triggering off certain reactions that, uh, you know, we can control, but also can control, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a duality there is a, multiple there's all these different realities that we're just you know and then ultimately there's only you know if we can just kind of cast that spell and hope that uh and motivated by roll the dice you know just just see what comes up and then you know and then the the chances are that if our intention is pure and if our um motivation is pure but also uh you know with these things we can't control yeah so um yeah what do you think about that or what do you think how do you connect that uh idea of willing it therefore it is you know? Oh, definitely. And the, I've heard the term like, Oh, fake it until you make it, yeah. you know, like, even though like yeah. some people yeah. are like, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. But, um, I feel like, yeah, when you have that energy and when you're putting that out there and you're just like, um, you know, you're walking those steps like that, that can, and you're walking in that direction. I think you, you can walk into that reality, you know, yeah. it's no longer like, a dream it's no longer in your mind like you're walking it out yeah it's, it's yeah. a dream and it's not a dream it's a dream yeah. in the sense that well it is, know, yes. it's, a, it's the dream i guess yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll dream. Be, yeah. continue to be resonating but yeah. like it's now like in reality and that's the same way you're saying with like art like sometimes like it takes shift in your mind mm. and then you know you be- begin the beginning stage then you do like the sketch you know or in writing uh-huh. you know that is somewhat of a sketch you know you're yeah. doing the first draft and then you you keep at it, you know, and then you just embellish it. And it's the yeah. same way with life. Like if you just do those 
that one step and then you, uh, you know, you continue on that second step. And then pretty soon, like what was in your mind, that picture is now, you know, can be reality. Yeah. 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 I think one of the metaphors that I love the most is like, you know, I tell people, I'm like, who here, raise your hand if you believe that you could walk from New York to San Francisco. And no one ever raises their hand, except for like one crazy person. They're like, I'm going to do anything. And I'm like, sit down straight, white man. Um, (laughs) But then everyone's like, no. And then I'm like, can you can you take one step? And everyone's like, yes. And I'm like, well, if you can take one step, then you can take the million steps that it takes. It just is going to take time. And, you know, it's all about, you know, fake it till you make it, which I'm a big fan because like people think it's bad. I'm like, no, I'm like, everyone has imposter syndrome, Yeah. you know, and and that, you know, it's it's not really faking it, but it's a great term. But just that if you can break down the process of anything into Mm -hmm. something that you can do in the next half hour, which just takes just break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down. You can build a company, you can write a screenplay, you can create a magazine, you can build a friendship, you can save a marriage. You just so often when people get overwhelmed and give up on things, it's because they're looking at a goal that is so far ahead that the part of their brain that wants to avoid failure says we can't do that today. I would say, I would say in some level, on the deepest level, you can do that right in this moment, just by, Mm -hmm. just by the energy flows through us and connecting with the energy. You're like manipulating the energy that's happening. The effects are happening right now. And that is called focus as well. Yeah, it's focus, it's focus. And Mm -hmm. it's also just seeing that in every moment you're connected to the energy of every future moment and every past moment. And just now you're, you're manipulating the energy, right? And then you're triggering off something, you're triggering it off. And then just like the infinity gauntlet, you're like, boom, it's happened, you know? So, um, Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. His mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Also go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash shoot to power to sponsor this particular show. Every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, if you'd like to listen on the go, then go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android or go to your Play Stores. Um, yeah, yeah, let's get some last calls. Any other, uh, any other, um, any other, um, you know, things you want to say? Um, I'd like to just read one little thing, if that's uh-huh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read something short. I know we only have a little bit of time, but yeah. this is just from um, an artist that I had seen. I, I was just actually in North Carolina and I saw his work and I was like, who did, you know, who did this and where is this person? So I, I um, interviewed him and, um, This is just a piece that he used for one of his his exhibits. Close your eyes. Then in your mind, picture the place where the ocean meets the sand. Sense the systematic and cyclical breaking down of stones into tiny granules over long periods of time. And its backdrop of aquatic habitat, it's full of life and it's juxtaposed against the very backdrop of man's existence of serenity at that meeting point and in that place, you will come across the genesis of the South Sea Pearl that is Janae Diragno's artwork. Diragno not only represents existence and meditative attainment, he is also an artist with a mission. He stated to me that through his artwork, he is making bottles filled with a message inside. 
if you will, a sort of self-constructed home filled with spiritual meaning and spiritual good. He wants to bring to onlook, onlookers a sense of peace, especially now during the world's current political turmoil and devastating wars. That is the meaning of the metaphor of the whirlwind place where the ocean meets the sand. The two worlds collide and seamlessly complement one another. Diragno wants to be a tool for change and movement. About the imagery of the two forces, Diragno states art should respond to move something. That is what Jonay Diragno's work does. It is not through water and sand, however. He may utilize them. He elevates those elements up to the level of the soul through the emotional movement of humanity, through aesthetic harmony. Diragno may even achieve the rarest of artistic accomplishment, Zen and aesthetic justice. Thank you. Snap, thank you. Snap, yeah, snap. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, before we go, um, is there any place people can find you online to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, we do have a website, but it's it, we still have the um, the splash page up. So just keep tuned on there. It's www.decormagazine.com. You could find it on Instagram, although I haven't been using it all that much. Uh, it's um. It's Decor Mag on Instagram. And um, yeah, just keep tuned. And I'm trying to, I'm in the process. I've done um, a couple of, speaking of writing, a couple of proposal drafts. I'm trying to plan an exhibit, curate an exhibit featuring some of the artists um, for uh, the launch. Uh, so I'm in the process of looking at places. Uh, but um, yeah, the proposal is is going pretty well. And it's basically just, trying to unpack identity of um, basically refugees as well as our own selves coming to a place of quote home, how we can enter that place and, and return to our place of finding identity. Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. beautiful. And, Thank you. and yeah, if anyone wants to do some storytelling, um, you can find all the information um, at meditativewriting.org or on my Instagram at uh, meditative underscore writing. Yeah. And remember, guys, you can go to readyforlooking.org slash shoot the power to find our, uh, our archives uh, of all the previous episodes. So binge listen. And uh, I just want to say that I'm sending, uh, sending love to all the listeners. Uh, please feel free to. Um, Listen in and, uh, and, uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. But I